Hey guys, just before we get started, I wanted to add a uh, swear warning before my uh, episode because I realized I do in fact swear a lot. So um, if you don't like swearing, this podcast probably isn't for you. Uh, let's get on to the episode. Hey. Sorry, that was a weird hey. I'm I'm trying to think of new ways to start this podcast. Anyway, um, welcome back to the Long Make She Rain podcast. I'm Aiden. I'm your host for this podcast. Um, I hope everyone had a good week. I had, it was a relatively boring week until like yesterday. So I'm, I'm a thinker. I like to think before I do things, but this week I did not do that. So, um, quarantine finally got to me, guys. I cut my hair. I cut my own hair with kitchen scissors. Now, see, the thing is, before lockdown started, I was supposed to get a haircut. But then lockdown started and I couldn't get a haircut and my hair was getting so long and so gross. I just decided yesterday that I was sick of it, so I chopped it. And, like, it's honestly not even that bad. Like, I, I overreacted when I did it because it's honestly not that uneven. Like, when when lockdown ends, I'll be able to get it more evened out. But honestly, it doesn't look that bad, you know. I just keep my hair up. It looks fine. No one can even <laughs> tell. But I, I just... It's hilarious that I was able to do that without even thinking, because, like, the minute I cut my hair, I was like, oh, no, what did I do? Why did I do that? But, yeah, so now my hair's all, uh, short and, like, a little bob, and I actually like it. I haven't had my hair this short in a very long time. Alright, so, on to the topic at hand. Today, we are gonna cover... Catherine of Aragon. Now, you may know her as the first wife of Henry VIII, the one that he divorced. The one that he divorces, you know, all those movies about Anne Boleyn at the start. Yeah. Um, I'm really excited to talk about her because she's actually my favorite of Henry VIII's wives. No shade to Anne Boleyn. I love her too. I pretty much love all the wives equally, but Catherine has a very special place in my heart. Um, let's get started. Alright, so Catherine was born on December 16th, 1485, and it's great that we have her birthday because I looked up her astrological sign like I always do. Uh, she is, in fact, a Sagittarius. I feel like I know a lot about Sagittariuses because I happen to live with two of them. My dad and my brother are both Sagittariuses. Uh, so I looked up their personalities, so... And I feel like it also, once again, hits right on the head for Catherine in terms of personality. Um, Sagittariuses are independent, strong-willed. Uh, they're all about going off the beaten path. Uh, they're natural-born leaders who go after what they want, regardless of what other people think. And Sagittariuses are born adventurers and solo travelers who love exploration. Which, it, it doesn't always, doesn't really fit that last thing about adventuring doesn't really fit with Catherine's personality, but her parents did start the age of exploration, so it, it does kind of fit. So, uh, Catherine was worn very fancily in a arch archbishop's palace, and I'm gonna butcher the name of this palace, so I apologize to all Spanish people. Uh, <laughs> the palace, I believe, was called Alcala de Hernandez. Uh, and which is near Madrid. And Catherine was the baby child of her family. She was the youngest out of five. Um, she had a big sister, Isabella, big brother, John, a big sister, Joanna, and a big sister, Maria. So, unlike most princes of her time, Catherine was actually a welcomed birth. I mean, wow. Uh, 
most monarchies at the time wouldn't have been very happy to have another girl, but Catherine's parents, they had her older brother John, so they weren't really worried about it, and um, the kingdom that Catherine was born in, Castile, uh, like, let females inherit, so it, like, wasn't that big of a deal. Actually, when uh, Catherine was born, her name was Catalina. She was the Infanta Catalina of Spain, because uh, that's what they call princesses in Spain. But when she moved to England, she had her name um, anglicized, um, which is why we know her as Catherine. So Catherine was born into one of the most powerful families in Europe. Like, her parents were the badass bitches of Europe. Like, they wore the pants in Europe, both of them. Well, actually, Catherine's mother wore the pants in Europe, but, uh, we'll get to that in a second, because I'm, I'm really excited to talk about Catherine's mother, so Catherine's mom was Isabel of Castile, who you may have heard of if you went to school in America, because Isabel of Castile funded Christopher Columbus's voyage to America, um, so, Isabella of Castile kind of defied the odds to become queen. Uh, when Isabella of Castile grew up, she had two brothers in front of her for the throne. But when both of them died, she assumed the throne. And Isabella's niece uh, wasn't very happy about that. So, uh, she started a civil war, uh, which Isabella won. Surprise. But, and it got her crown. And by the time of Catherine's birth, uh, Isabella was in the middle of this thing called the Reconquista, which was a war that Spain had kind of been fighting for centuries to take over uh, Muslim lands in Spain from people called uh, the Moors, which are basically just uh, black people who practice uh, Muslim, Muslim religion. Uh, these people had been in Spain for like centuries. Like Spain was like a huge melting pot. Uh, back then, and they had taken over the southern coast of, uh, Spain, and, uh, practically a few weeks after Catherine was born, Isabella was back to warring again, and I've, I forgot to mention this, but Isabella quite literally pulled over her conquest to have Catherine, like, she literally was just, like, in the middle of winter during her reconquista, was like, oh yeah, this looks like a good place to have a baby, <laughs> um, uh, Spain wasn't really like what we think of it today. So you you see how I say that Catherine is of Aragon? See, Spain wasn't exactly as united as one country. So there were like multiple kingdoms all around, but they called all of it Spain. So uh, Catherine's mother was of Castile, which was one of the biggest kingdoms with a very large population. It was very rich and Aragon was the second largest. So Catherine's father, <laughs> his name was Ferdinand of Aragon. He was uh, obviously king of Aragon. Uh, I find him slightly less interesting <laughs> than his wife. He, but one thing I do admire about him is that he was a master of politics. Like, if you've seen Game of Thrones, he was kind of a little bit like Littlefinger, except he was an actual king. Um, I read while researching Ferdinand because I honestly didn't know a lot about him and I wanted to uh, kind of get into some stuff about him, that he was noted in Machiavelli's The Prince as a source of good leadership, which I think just kind of proves how smart Ferdinand was. So he was, he was just kind of like a good puppet master, and it's good that he was good at politics, because this time period is kind of cutthroat. 
Okay, so I want to just, like, take a pause for a sec and talk about what Catherine looked like, because this gets, like, butchered in every adaption of uh, Catherine's life. So when you think of someone from Spain, you probably think of someone with dark hair, dark eyes, dark skin, just, like, dark features in general, but that was not what Catherine looked like at all. So, Catherine's complexion, she was very pale, she had blue eyes, and she had red hair, which is awesome. We love red hair. Uh, She probably inherited it from her mother's English roots, which I'm going to talk about later, because uh, Isabella of Castile, also in her adaption, is also portrayed with dark features, but Isabella of Castile was also a redhead. Okay, so we actually do have great documentation on Catherine's early life. She was kind of a pack-and-go-on-the-road princess from, like, the moment she was born. Like I said, her mother was in the middle of the Reconquista, so she followed her parents and older siblings around from place to place as her mother and father went crusading in Spain. She spent most of her time, actually, with her older sisters, Maria and Joanna. I'd say they were probably the closest out of the younger kids, because, uh, Actually, uh, Catherine's older siblings, John and Isabella, were kind of like the poster children for the monarchy. So uh, Joanna, Maria, and Catherine did all their lessons together. And I read a few things that their daily routine when they were kids were they played and they ate in palaces. And she was dressed in the finest silks from Italy. But... What I find very strange about her childhood is that despite her parents crusading, she saw them a lot. This is really uncommon for the time. You see how I talked about in the uh, Elizabeth of York episode, episode one, go listen to it, um, that uh, Elizabeth's oldest son, Arthur, was sent away for his education, but none of the kids in Catherine's house were ever sent away for their education they did their education with their parents. They were all a very tight-knit bunch. Um, in fact, I, I read this one story. It's it's kind of relevant to this. Someone tried to assassinate Isabel and Ferdinand during their crusade, and the it didn't work, obviously. Uh, but when Isabella heard about it, she packed up her whole family, all the kids, and sent them off, which I think kind of shows how much of a caring mother Isabel was. She was a very hands-on mom. Uh, not to mention the education she provided for all her children, which is stellar. Like, I want this education. So, Isabella was denied a proper education for herself when she was a little kid. She kind of got your, like, base girl education, like, in the Elizabeth of York episode, we talked about her education was basically, like, menial stuff, like, embroidery and dancing and music, like, just, like, all, like, girly stuff, but... Uh, actually, when Isabella got older, she hired tutors for herself. She wanted to learn Latin and stuff like that, which I think is cool. So, when she had her own children, she made sure they got a better education than uh, she did. So, Catherine would have learned uh, history, Latin, law, and uh, religious law, which is interesting. Like, I took a, <laughs> I took a law course a couple years ago, and like, I, I didn't get to learn religious law. That sounds cool. She also learned uh, literature from a very extensive library that her parents had. Uh, she learned horseback riding and falconry 
and other... She also learned some regular female pursuits like dancing, music, embroidery. Also, I found cooking on the list of the things she learned, which makes me laugh, because, like, who was she going to cook for? Like, (laughs) was there ever going to be a time of her as a future ruler being like, here, let me make you some empanadas or something like that? Like, oh, um... Speaking of her embroidery, um, Isabella's mom did this thing for Ferdinand for a very long time, um, where she'd sew Ferdinand's shirts kind of like as like a sweet wife thing that she'd do, and Catherine would actually do that with, uh, her husband, um, spoiler alert, she has a husband, and she'd do that for the rest of her life, which I think is adorable and sweet. Okay, so I want to kind of get into a darker part of Catherine's childhood because as much as I love Isabella of Castile, uh, there's some things that Isabella of Castile did that I don't necessarily agree with as a modern person. So I want to talk about the expulsion of the Jews. So while they were still in the middle of their Reconquista, they also started the Spanish Inquisition, which you've probably heard of. Um, Isabella and Ferdinand tried to kick out Jews from the lands they took from Muslims. Um, we're not sure about what Catherine might have thought of this since she was so young, but we have to keep in mind that she was a product of her time, as were her parents, and we must always remember that. Um, on the bright side, uh, at least for Catherine's family, her mother was finally able to take Granada when Catherine was about six years old. Now, Granada was kind of like a Muslim stronghold, and the Spanish have been trying to get this place back for years. And um, this was actually so influential in Catherine's childhood that when she eventually became Queen of England, she chose a pomegranate, which was the symbol of Granada, I believe, and also a sign of fertility and uh, stuff as her symbol for when she became Queen of England. So that's how impactful the uh, taking of Granada was for her. Okay, so I want to kind of talk about uh, a cool uh, aspect of Catherine's childhood. As I talked about before, her parents started the Age of Exploration. And with the Age of Exploration, you get Columbus. So uh, Christopher Columbus probably impacted her childhood a lot. Uh, 1492 was a huge year for Spain as Isabella and Ferdinand tasked Christopher Columbus with finding new trade routes to India, but instead, he found something way better. The New World. Catherine probably would have heard tales about this magical new land across the sea when she was a little kid. She probably would have seen new fruits brought over, an animal she had never seen, and probably heard about the quest for gold. She probably also would have liked to hear that Columbus was spreading Christianity to the people on these islands. Uh, okay, so I've got a quick fun fact for you guys. Okay, it's not really that fun. But it's believed that because of Christopher Columbus, he might have actually brought back syphilis from the New World. Because <laughs> cases started popping up as soon as he returned from the New World. This has nothing to do with Catherine. I, ju- I just kind of thought it was interesting. But uh, Columbus probably definitely had a huge impact on Catherine's childhood, which I think is interesting that, like, someone as influential as Catherine was influenced by the guy who literally, uh, discovered, uh, a part of North America. (laughs) All right, people, it's time to get this bitch engaged. 
Alright, so, um, who Catherine was gonna marry would, was a question her parents started asking when she was about a toddler, because, you know, that's when you, uh, started negotiating for marriages, and almost immediately King Henry VII was interested in her as a bride for a son. So, we talked a bit about Henry in the Elizabeth of York episode, but I'm just gonna give you all a bit of a refresher, if you, uh, don't remember or you haven't listened to the Elizabeth of York episode. So, England at this time had been basically torn apart by civil war for decades until Henry Tudor took the throne in a battle actually a few months before Catherine was born. But the Tudor dynasty had a very, very weak claim to the throne. Even though Henry had married the popular Yorkist king Edward IV's daughter, Henry was still trying to prove his legitimacy. But Catherine, on the other hand, was descended from this dude named John of Gaunt, who was a son of King Edward III of England on the legitimate side. So John of Gaunt had uh, multiple wives and uh, a mistress at one point who gave him illegitimate children. These children were legitimized later, but they were barred from inheriting the throne, which uh, Henry Tudor completely ignored when he took the throne because he was from that line. Uh, Catherine, on the other hand, was descended from the legitimate side of John of Gaunt. And actually, Catherine had a better claim to the throne than Henry did. So uh, Catherine was actually perfect to marry Henry's Arthur son, eldest son, that's, why did I say that? Eldest son, Arthur, who is just 11 months younger than her. Um, at first, no one was really sure if the marriage was gonna happen. Henry was kind of playing, uh, hard to get. Uh, meanwhile, Isabel and Ferdinand were deciding, um, their other children's marriages. Um, Catherine's eldest sister was, uh, married to the heir of Portugal, and Isabella, Isabella the mom, sorry, there's a lot of Isabellas, uh, set up a double betrothal where her uh, oldest son, John, would marry Margaret of Austria, and Catherine's sister, Joanna, would marry Margaret's brother, Philip of Austria, and Philip and Margaret were the children of the Holy Roman Emperor. Uh, I don't want to explain the Holy Roman Empire, because uh, even I still don't get it. Um, and they did this while Henry was still kind of playing hard to get, um, <laughs> Henry and Isabella constantly fought over Catherine's huge dowry of 200,000 scudos, which I did the conversion for, and uh, today it would be about roughly 5 million euros. And during these negotiations, both of Catherine's siblings actually got married. I believe this was in the mid-14... I believe it was in the mid to early 1490s when her siblings got married. Um... She was probably about 11. Meanwhile, in England, Henry was dealing with a bit of a rebellion on his hands. Uh, We talked a bit about this uh, rebellion in the Elizabeth of York episode. Wow, we're getting so many connections back to the Elizabeth of York episode. I love it. Uh, So this was the Perkin Warbeck Rebellion. Um, it, this literally almost ruined Catherine's marriage hopes. Uh, Isabella didn't want to send Catherine to England if they were going to deal with uprisings every five minutes, so... Basically, in one swift motion, Henry uh, took out Pork and Warbeck and also um, Teddy Plantagenet, who we talked about in the Elizabeth of York episode. He was uh, Elizabeth's cousin and the last male Plantagenet, and they were both executed uh, because of this. Because, like I said, uh, in the cat, sorry, in the Elizabeth of York episode, Pork and Warbeck was claiming to be Elizabeth's brother which would have made him eligible for the throne, but eventually when he did get captured, he admitted that he was lying. 
Uh, this execution would haunt Catherine when she got older, especially because of Teddy Plantagenet. She believed it was her fault that uh, Teddy got executed, and she thought he hadn't done anything wrong. After this, Catherine's marriage actually started making some progress because Henry stopped playing hard to get. But in the coming years, tragedy would start to strike for this family. Uh, They had been doing so well. They had done their Reconquista. They thought God was on their side. And then it wasn't. Catherine's eldest sister, Isabella, died in childbirth. And then that child ended up dying a couple years after that, before he was even two years old. To to solve that problem, Catherine's other sister, Maria, was sent to replace her, which is kind of gross and weird. Like, just one sister dies, you send the other one over. And it was basically just Catherine and her brother, John, who were the only kids home because, you know, John had gotten married and he was expected to stay home. And Joanna was, I believe, in Austria, I guess. I don't actually know where <laughs> uh, <laughs> she went. I'm sorry. <laughs> So, as Catherine waited to get married, her and her betrothed Arthur started sending letters to each other in Latin so they could get familiar with each other. And while they did this, proceedings for proxy marriages started. So, proxy marriages I find really funny because they were uh, basically fake weddings. Uh, Arthur and Catherine had a pretend wedding where someone would stand in for the other spouse, but it was all taken very seriously. It was a very serious affair. And it was about as uh, legally binding as a real marriage ceremony was. Um, I read uh, a story about the Spanish ambassador who was named De Puebla. And he stood in for both parties at each wedding. Which would have been funny. I read Arthur had to hold De Puebla's hand. Which is hilarious. I can't imagine having a fake marriage where you just have to hold the hand of a Spanish ambassador named De Puebla. Um... Oh, and we're getting into the tragedy again, because guess what happened about two years before Catherine was uh, set to leave? Um, Catherine's brother John unfortunately died, and John's pregnant wife Margaret miscarried her baby, which deeply grieved Catherine, so she uh, stayed lo- a little longer in Spain uh, before she would finally leave. Now, I read this, I didn't get too deep into, uh, Catherine's brother John, but I did read this story once about a lot of people think he died from overexerting himself in the bedroom, which, (laughs) oh, that's so funny. (laughs) It's not funny that he died. It's, it's funny that that's how they think he died. Anyway, um, also around this time, Christopher Columbus was shamed and disgraced around this time. Um, he had been named, uh, governor of, oh, I forget the name of the island. I believe it's modern Jamaica that he found. Um, he was named the governor of this island and he wa- was having a really tough time, uh, governing over there and Ferdinand and Isabella were kind of annoyed with his shit. So they, uh, basically exiled him away. So, by spring of 1501, Catherine was 15 and preparations were being made in England for Catherine to arrive. Isabella was getting ready to send her with a gigantic entourage that included 100 people. That sounds so bougie. I want an entourage with 100 people. Catherine was also bringing jewels and not to mention half her dowry while the rest would be paid later. Henry was so annoyed by Isabella insisting that Catherine had all this stuff. 
Um, he didn't think Catherine needed that many people, but Isabella insisted, and Henry finally gave up because, to be honest, he was really looking forward to all that gold Catherine was bringing with her. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but I really don't like Henry VII because he just annoys me to no fucking end. Uh, Henry was really greedy. And as Queen's Podcast once said, who is uh, one of my favorite podcasts, you guys should go listen to them. Uh, Henry would have shaken his ass like a stripper for any amount of money because he was a real penny pincher. <laughs> Alright, so finally in May of 1501, after like 10 years of anticipation, Catherine finally said her goodbyes to her parents, who she knew she would probably never see again. At this point, all of Isabella's children had either died or left her, and Isabella was absolutely distraught over Catherine's leaving. Um, I, I also read a story that when Joanna, her, uh, daughter got married, that Catherine, sorry, not Catherine, Isabella actually, like, cried buckets when Joanna left, so I imagine it was no different than when Catherine left. But, one thing about Catherine is that even though she only spent maybe one-fourth of her life in Spain, she would live and die a daughter of Spain. All right, so Catherine's journey to England. Now, I, I read, instead of just doing internet research for this episode, I actually did, I read a book. Wow, I read a book. Um, and Catherine's journey to England is a fucking doozy. It took her forever to get there. When she left her parents in May, she didn't make it to the coast of Spain till around August because they kept on stopping and taking breaks and hanging out people's houses. But finally, they set sail when they uh, got to the coast in August. But they were beat back by horrible storms in the English Channel, which, by the way, is a really crappy place to sail. Like, nowadays, you could probably get to Spain in like a few hours on a ferry or something like that but back then that was just like not an option but on the 27th of September they were finally able to sail for real this time and they were headed for okay I'm probably gonna butcher the name of this English city is it is it Plymouth or Plymouth I'm not sure it's probably Plymouth and they arrived a few days later as October started Catherine must have been like the strangest sight as she walked off the boat. Uh, she was probably wearing a hoop skirt, which is a fashion she brought to England. Um, fun fact that I read about the hoop skirt while I was looking at it for Catherine. Um, the fashion was actually banned in Italy for a few years because apparently men thought it looked made women look like cones, which is hilarious that it would become such a popular fashion trend a lot later. Uh, also not to mention a lot of her servants were black, which most Englishmen probably would have never seen before. They probably had never seen a black person before. And Catherine's actually credited with bringing the first black people to England, which is, uh, interesting. Uh, in Plymouth, she probably stayed the night until she moved on to the town of Exeter. And, again, her entourage moved sl so slow towards London. Once again, it took them forever to get there. And on the way, Catherine got a letter from uh, the king welcoming her to England around the 19th of October. But as it moved on into November, Henry got very impatient. Not to mention, he'd heard a rumor Catherine was wearing a veil, as it was uh, custom for Spanish brides to uh, wear a veil and hide their face until they met their betrothed. But Henry was not okay with this. He thought he was in the middle of, like, a dupe. He thought he was being duped. He thought Isabella was trying to pull a fast one on him. 
on him because he thought, oh my god, is Catherine ugly or something? Did they send me an ugly one? Which, oh, Henry, you make me so angry. So, uh, Henry proceeded to do the douchiest thing ever. He rode to where she was, and he took his son Arthur with him and demanded to see her in the middle of the night where she was staying. Catherine's attendants were very angry about this, but Henry said, Spanish customs have no place here. So he asked Catherine to lift her veil, and it's safe to say Henry liked what he saw. He thought she was very pretty, and he was very relieved that she wasn't ugly, which is self-centered. Henry, I hate you. And after he saw her face, he then brought Arthur in the room to meet Catherine for the first time. And after, like I said, a decade of anticipation, they saw each other for the first time. Okay. So, let's talk about what Arthur might have looked like. So, I did uh, look up his portrait. Um, Arthur's looks kind of clung to the Tudor side of the family. Arthur was tall and pale with blue eyes and very dark brown hair like his dad. He was considered generally handsome for his age, but there are a lot of conflicting reports on Arthur's health. But I, I honestly don't think there's anything to suggest that he was sickly at all, but we'll get into that later. Uh, one problem when Catherine and Arthur met for the first time was that they couldn't really talk to each other. Arthur didn't know Spanish, and Catherine knew no English. They tried to speak in Latin to each other, but it was different types of Latin. Uh, Arthur had learned an English pronunciation of Latin, and Catherine had learned her Spanish pronunciation, which I find weird that they talk about how they couldn't talk at all because they had been sending letters to each other in Latin for a long time. Maybe they both had, like, translators, just in case, like, maybe no one, they didn't read their own letters like people read them for them. Uh, also, the fact that they couldn't talk gives me rage because uh, if Catherine was set to be Queen of England from the time she was a little kid, I don't understand why no one decided to put English on her syllabus for school, but they didn't, so Isabel and Ferdinand kind of dropped the ball there. Um, after this rather awkward meeting, her crew all headed for London, where huge pageants were waiting for her on the streets, and she eventually arrived in London on November 12th of 1501. Uh, Catherine, uh, would have, uh, gone up to the gates of the city to wait for the people who were going to greet her, and one of these people was Arthur's ten-year-old brother, Prince Henry, Duke of York. Sound familiar, anyone? Catherine didn't know it at the time, but this 10-year-old boy would end up changing her life. That day, he was just her (laughs) brother-in-law. So, when she finally entered the city, she was greeted by tons of people on the streets waiting for her, with tons of pageants and festivals and a whole bunch of people just, like, waiting to see her. They were celebrating in the streets, welcoming her into the city, and, uh... Little Prince Henry was riding with her, waving and smiling as well. Um, actually, her arrival in uh, London kind of reminds me of when the Beatles came to America. Like, I literally read a report that um, they had to put up um, barriers on the street to, like, keep people from, like, mauling her. Um, their parade route eventually ended at uh, St. Paul's Cathedral, which was where... Um, Sorry, I got a cough. <coughs> Oops. Uh, eventually ended at St. Paul's uh, Cathedral, where Catherine was going to get married in a couple of days. Uh, 
there she was blessed and sent off. Um, at this pageant was the first time anyone in England had seen Catherine, and this uh, pageant proved that from the day Catherine set foot on English soil, the English people loved her until the day she died, and that is not an exaggeration because they really did. Uh, the next day, Catherine actually attended a party hosted by Henry, where final insurances were made about the treaty. Also, uh, they also confirmed that Catherine was absolutely a virgin, which I think was a little ridiculous. And Catherine actually met her mother-in-law, Elizabeth of uh, York, at this party. Elizabeth was a very different kind of queen to Catherine's mother. Catherine's mother, um, Catherine's mother was pretty, I guess, but she was a little more tomboyish. I read that uh, Isabella wasn't really prone to a lot of makeup. Her mother was very militaristic, that's the word. Well, Elizabeth was soft, kind, sweet, and charitable, and Catherine respected Elizabeth for her generosity, beauty, and as a good role for motherhood. All right, finally, the wedding. Oh my god. (laughs) It's taken us forever to get here, but we are here. So, on the morning of November 15th... No, sorry, not November 15th. November 14th, 1501, after another decade of anticipation, it was finally Catherine's wedding day. Catherine was going to get married in St. Paul's uh, Cathedral, which I talked about just a second ago. Um, I looked at a picture of St. Paul's Cathedral, and isn't that the same cathedral where uh, Diana and Prince Charles got married? Because I'm pretty sure it is. It's a very beautiful cathedral. Um, it's in the center of London, and it was actually a great place for everyone to see the young couple couple and Henry like picked St. Paul's strictly for that so that like it could hold a lot of people so that everyone could see them. So early that morning Catherine would have gotten dressed and as if she wasn't going to be talked about enough that day Catherine chose a very unconventional no wait what's the word unconventional yeah that's the word unconventional uh wedding dress she actually chose to get married in white which obviously is very common these days most brides choose to get married in white but back then it wasn't very common because white was super expensive and hard to dye uh so only really rich people could have it um it really wouldn't become a tradition in marriage until queen victoria would do it about 300 years after catherine Um, Arthur was also dressed in white. I don't know if they coordinated that. And actually, Prince Henry was also dressed in white. Uh, Henry was... Sorry, Prince Henry. There are two different Henrys. Uh, Prince Henry was going to walk his new sister-in-law down the aisle at the ceremony, which is hilarious because, you know, they end up getting married later. Um, a giant platform was erected in the middle of the cathedral so everyone could see the couple. Uh, Catherine was escorted by Prince Henry up the platform to Arthur, and a whole bunch of Catholic Church stuff was done. I don't, I don't know what Catholic Church stuff they did, but I'm sure they got, like, blessed with holy oil and stuff and said their vows and shit, and they were finally married, for real. Uh, after this, Ken Henry threw a huge party after the ceremony. There was drinking and feasting, and pretty much everyone who was anyone in England was there. All right. So, now we get into the most infamous thing for Catherine. It was something that she probably didn't realize at the time that would define her life. Her wedding night with Arthur. Um, After all the partying was uh, done, at least for Catherine, she was brought to her chamber where a bishop blessed the bed. And I, I read that he tested it. 
I, I don't know what uh, testing a bed involves. Um, maybe he, like, jumped up and down on it and said a few Hail Marys and then he said it was cool. I don't know. <laughs> um, Arthur actually stayed up a bit later than Catherine partying with his friends, you know, like boys do. Uh, so Catherine had to wait for him and then he was later carried in uh, by his friends. They were both dressed for bed and the door was shut. It's been debated for centuries about what happened behind those closed doors that night, and honestly, my opinion changes every five seconds. Uh, did they have sex? Did they have not? I don't know. But what we do know, we do know what happened after in the morning. When Arthur emo- emerged from his bedroom the next day, he was up earlier, earlier than Catherine was. And he asked his friends for a cup of water, saying he had spent the night in the midst of Spain and that it was a good pastime to have a wife. Um, okay, virgin. (laughs) The quotes make me laugh because it does honestly sound like something a virgin would say to his friends. And as far as we know, Arthur was in fine health, so there was no reason why he couldn't have had sex. But maybe at the time they believed they would have their whole lives to do it. Um, another thing that kind of makes me doubt the reports of this because of Arthur's friends who were there with him that morning, uh, were the ones who reported those, uh, quotes. Um, Arthur's friends were quite sure they had slept together, but, uh, Catherine's attendants said they didn't. Um, all of Arthur's friends were teenagers who had probably never had sex before and none of them were married. Arthur's friends included Anthony Willoughby, who never even got married and had no kids when he died. Then there was, oh god, this guy with a Welsh name that I'm gonna butcher. I am so sorry, Welsh people. Griffith ap Rise ap Thomas, who didn't have his first kid until 1508, and there, then there was Robert Radcliffe, who only got married in 1505, and finally, one of Arthur's attendants was named Gerald Fitzgerald. Uh, I think I'm related to that guy, because my last name happens to be Fitzgerald. And Gerald Fitzgerald didn't have a baby till 1513, um, and Gerald Fitzgerald was married in 1503, he didn't have a kid for a decade. So what would they have known about sex? They probably couldn't have even accurately reported anything. But to be honest, who the hell knows? I mean, maybe Arthur thought he had consummated the marriage, and Catherine thought they didn't. Both of them were inexperienced teenagers who had never had sex before, and Arthur had been drinking the whole night, so maybe he thought he had taken Catherine's virginity, but he didn't. Uh, maybe that's why Catherine denied that they slept together. Um, I'd actually love to hear y'all's opinions on Twitter later. I'll post a poll about it, um, when I post this episode to see what you guys think, if they slept together or not. Uh, soon after their wedding night, the topic of money reared its ugly head as Catherine's parents hadn't yet paid, uh, the rest of her, uh, dowry. Um, there was also the question of if Catherine would go to Wales with Arthur as his Princess of Wales. The Spanish thought it was a bad idea, uh, because they thought they might be a little too young to, uh, live as husband and wife. But Henry ruled against it, and six days after Catherine turned 16, Arthur and, uh, Catherine made the trek back to Wales, um, which also took a long-ass while, by the way. Um, along the way, Catherine met Margaret Pole, who was a cousin of Queen Elizabeth of York and was the sister of Teddy Plantagenet, the boy who had been executed. 
so Catherine's parents would sign that treaty. Um, surprisingly, those two actually became very good friends, which I think is interesting considering the circumstances, uh, because Teddy was executed just for Catherine to be here, and Catherine was very, uh, felt very guilty about that. One second, I gotta take a drink, hold on. Okay, I'm good. (laughs) The couple eventually arrived at Ludlow Castle in Wales around the New Year. Ludlow Castle, I've seen pictures of it. Apparently at the time it hadn't been renovated in quite a few years, so it was like damp and cold and Catherine didn't really like it there. Um, they did a few uh, public engagements together at Ludlow, but other than that, we really don't know much about their married life. Um, but what we do know is that in the end of March, Catherine and Arthur both got super duper sick. So we don't know what they were sick with. Uh, some people think it was sweating sickness due to how fast they both got sick and their symptoms that seemed to line up. And unfortunately, on April 2nd, Arthur passed away, and when Catherine eventually recovered and she found out that Arthur was dead, she crawled in bed with her favorite lady, Maria Deslinas, and she cried her eyes out about it, which, oh my god. Oh my god. That, like, there's been a lot of conflicting reports about if Catherine might have loved Arthur, but I think that... I think that just kind of shows how she might have cared for him, even though they were only married for such a short time. And I mean, they were only married from November to April, so it's not exactly a long time. So this um, (laughs) incident of Arthur dying started Catherine's very sad period of seven years of being a widow. And this is a very unhappy part of Catherine's life. Um, she was not treated well during this. So, after Arthur died, Catherine stayed at Ludlow. Her husband's body was taken to a church and buried there. Catherine wore black in mourning. She probably thought she would end up returning to Spain, uh, like her sister Isabella did. I forgot to mention earlier that when Isabella went to Spain, she married the heir, and then the heir died, and then Isabella married the next guy in line, and then she died, which was like a whole mess, so Catherine probably thought that was going to happen to her. But for now, she had to sit and wait and see what King Henry wanted to do with her. Catherine's parents didn't want to lose the alliance, like, at all, and Henry definitely did not want to return all that money. And worst of all, at the end of this, Arthur had not had time to change his will, which meant uh, everything that should have gone to Catherine went to Arthur's sister, Margaret. Catherine literally had nothing. Uh, On her way back to London, she was given a small allowance from the king, but it really wasn't that much. It was about the income of, like, a small nobleman, so someone who was, like, a a lord or a... Oh, what's the word? A baron? Yeah, baron, I believe, is the lowest on the nobleman thing. Uh, But Queen Elizabeth, who was now expecting a new baby, gave Catherine some money to help her out. Uh, But even when she returned uh, to London, she was excluded from court life. And the this is a terrible thing that happened. And I, I never knew about this, but I read it um, in the book I was reading about her. Catherine's confessor, uh, which is, you know, the guy that you go into the box with and you say, forgive me, father, for I have sinned, uh, claimed that she and Arthur had consummated their marriage, even though Catherine said no. And whether or not he was telling the truth, it was a violation of his place as a confessor. So Catherine ended up dismissing him. Um, 
For one whole year, Catherine was completely shunned from court. Her parents tried to push for her to get engaged to Arthur's younger brother, Henry, who is now the new Prince of Wales, but Henry was ignoring that as he was quite concerned with his wife's pregnancy. In February of 1503, Elizabeth was rushed to the Tower of London, like I said in her episode, uh, because her water broke early, and Catherine... No, sorry, Elizabeth uh, gave birth on February 2nd, uh, but on February 11th, Elizabeth became ill, probably from an infection because no one washed her hands back then, and died on the 37th of, sorry, her 37th birthday on the 11th of February, and her little baby daughter that she had given birth to also died, and that baby's name was Catherine, who I think I mentioned, and it was either named after actual Catherine of Aragon, or uh, Elizabeth might have named it after her sister Catherine, which is likely, but I like to think that uh, she named uh, her baby after Catherine of Aragon. That day, it was a huge blow for most of the family, but it was um, also bad for Catherine, because Catherine lost an ally and a woman who was a good model of queenship and probably would have been a good buddy to have right now, because she was the only one really being nice to her. When King Henry came out of his mourning for his wife, he was such a different person. Because, well, he really super-duper loved Elizabeth of York, like I said in her episode. But he was also intent on remarrying because he's only got one son now and he needed more. Sons die every day, so he he was quick on that. Um, He was looking around... Europe, but then he quickly realized that he had the daughter of one of the richest families in the world right here, so he thought, hey, why don't I just marry Catherine? Uh, ew. Uh, this would have solved a few of Catherine's problems. It would have taken her straight to being queen, but any sense she would have had with King Henry would have been placed behind Prince Henry, and she'd probably be a queen dowager for most of her life. And uh, when Henry uh, proposed this idea to Catherine's mom, Isabella, uh, she said, and I quote, fuck no. (laughs) She was like, ew, that's disgusting. Why would you want to do that? So lucky for Catherine, that summer King Henry finally agreed to a marriage treaty between her and young Prince Henry so that the king wouldn't lose the alliance and all that hard work that they had spent over a decade crafting. So a papal dispensation was needed because Henry and uh, Catherine were technically brother and sister by marriage. The dispensation said that even if Catherine and Arthur did consummate their marriage, that it was still cool for Catherine and Henry to get married. Um, It also said that uh, little Henry and Catherine would get married when Henry turned 14 in the summer of, uh, I believe, 1505. Um, if, if you guys don't remember what a papal dispensation was, it was basically like an okay from the Pope to do what you want. Um, by 1504, Catherine was feeling super optimi- optimistic. She was being invited to court more often. She even became acquainted with uh, Prince Henry's little sister, Mary, who was about eight years old at the time, and Catherine became sort of a big sister for Mary. After all, uh, Margaret had, sorry, Mary's older sister, Margaret, had just recently left for Scotland, so Mary was a little bit upset about that. So, uh, while 1504 was initially going well, a disaster struck for Catherine. Catherine's mother passed away 
uh, November of that year. And that seriously diminished her value on the marriage market, as her uh, sister and brother-in-law were now the monarchs of Spain, and Joanna's daughter, Eleanor, was looking like a way better marriage option than 19-year-old Catherine, because Catherine was no longer the daughter of the most powerful queen in Europe. She was just the sister now, which changed a lot for her. So, by the summer of 1505, Catherine was eagerly awaiting her marriage to Prince Henry when Henry's 14th birthday rolled around. Nothing happened. No marriage took place. In fact, King Henry had little 14-year-old Henry denounce the marriage in front of people, which I don't really think he really understood. I mean, when your father's king and he tells you to do something, you do it. Uh, Catherine, I'm pretty sure she didn't know about this. Uh, all she knew at that point was she wasn't getting married, and this was when things started going downhill for Catherine, when things started getting really sad. Uh, she had no money now that her allowance had mostly been taken away, not to mention her father was so busy arguing with King Henry about money that he would not send Catherine her own money, and, uh, Catherine started blaming the Spanish ambassador de Puebla, you remember him? Uh, she thought that he wasn't, uh, communicating urgency to her father when, in fact, Ferdinand was just really ignoring Kathy because he, I don't really think he cared too much. He was just really interested in the money. Um, a, a little bit of a kind of bright spot for Catherine. In 1506, Catherine actually got to see her sister join again for the first time in almost a decade. Um... Catherine, sorry, uh, Joanna and Philip had been on their way to Spain, I believe, at this time to uh, claim the Spanish, uh, sorry, the Castilian crown for Joanna, but uh, that English channel had some bad storms, so they got pushed to England, so they thought, hey, might as well visit while we're here. Um, Catherine had been writing letters uh, to Philip, and Catherine was very happy to see her sister, but when Joanna showed up, up. Joanna was changed. Um, Joanna's mental health had deteriorated a great deal and Catherine hardly recognized her sister. Uh, Joanna had some serious mental health issues. She's actually known in history as Joanna the Mad. Uh, I hope I get to do an episode on her because I find her very fascinating. Um, after the uh, visit with her sister, Catherine's situation become, became more destitute. She started selling clothes and jewelry to feed herself. And do you remember that huge entourage she brought to England? Well, uh, these people aren't there for free. They have to get paid, right? And Catherine had no money to pay any of them. Uh, she barely had enough money to take care of herself. Catherine began indulging deeply in her faith at this time. Like, she she was religious before, but now she was balls-to-the-wall religious <laughs> at this point, um, as it was her last connection to her homeland. Catherine would fast. If I hope you guys know what fasting is. It, it kind of means, like, it's almost like starving yourself. Um, and she would wear hair shirts. Uh, hair shirts are obviously made out of hair. Um, and they kind of, like, scratch your back and to remind you of the suffering of Jesus, I guess. Um, this was very concerning to many people at court, and a lot of people started to worry about her health because she did get sick very often 
during this time and people were concerned that this might affect her ability to have kids in the future. Um, in 1507, her father actually decided to help her a little bit and he made her ambassador to England, uh, which gave her uh, some income, which makes Catherine the first female ambassador in history, which is uh, really cool. Um, I, I didn't know that about her, so it was interesting, uh, to read that, but I'm really mad that it took, uh, Ferdinand this long to <laughs> decide to do this for his daughter. Uh, Ferdinand's not getting a best dad of the year mug anytime soon. Um, in 1508, um, oh, sorry, where was I? In 1508, Catherine was extremely frustrated now that Prince Henry was over the age of consent. She expected the marriage to still take place, but King Henry was stalling, and Catherine's father shamed Henry for not keeping his promise because he was still kind of budging for Catherine to get married to little Prince Henry. But for the first time in seven years, luck was coming Catherine's way. King Henry was dying, and on April 21st, 1509, King Henry finally passed away. Catherine probably didn't know on April 21st that King Henry was dead. She was, she probably found out it, found out about it the same day it was announced to court on April 24th, and young Prince Henry was now king, and lucky for Catherine, he had changed a lot in seven years from that little ten-year-old boy. Henry had loved to read tales of heroes and chivalry and saving a destitute princess like Catherine looked really good. Uh, we don't know if Henry actually decided to go after Catherine because he loved her or because he wanted Spanish money. But in the early years of their marriage, as you're going to find in uh, part two, they seemed quite in love. So I choose to believe he did love her and... Henry ended up proposing uh, very soon after that. Catherine accepted, and they got married on June 11th, 1509, in a private ceremony at Greenwich Palace. I read they got married in the Queen's Closet. I don't know what that means, but I guess they got married in the closet. Uh, Catherine was 23, and Henry was only a few weeks away from his 18th birthday. Alright, so let's talk about Henry, because damn... <laughs> Uh, he was definitely not the old tyrant he would later be known as. Uh, in 1509, Henry was almost 18 and sexy as hell. Um, if you haven't seen The Spanish Princess, the TV show about Catherine's life, which is pretty inaccurate, so I don't recommend it. But the actor who plays young Henry in that is, like, really hot. And exactly what I pictured a young Henry to look like. So, Henry at the time had, uh, red hair. He really took after his mom. Uh, and the, the York side of his family. Henry was also almost 6'2", which is gigantic for the time. Like, the average height for a man back then was, like, 5'7", so Henry was very tall. And a lot of people thought he resembled his popular, uh, Yorkist grandfather, uh, Edward IV, which was really good for, uh, his reputation. Um... After, uh, Henry and Catherine got married, uh... They were jointly crowned on June 23rd, 1509 at Westminster Abbey. And after seven long years of waiting, Catherine finally had her crown and a new boo to go with it. So, you know what could go wrong from here, right? <laughs> 
All right, so this is where we come to the end of uh, Catherine's story for this week. I'm going to do a part two uh, next week. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you want to hear about a certain lady, just DM me on Twitter at uh, Long May She Rain uh, 2. The N at the end of Rain is replaced with a 2. Just remember that. Uh, Thanks for listening, guys. Bye!